Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. I want you to go back with me all the way to the time of Moses. To travel all the way back. You see, all of Israel listened to Moses. And they did exactly as he commanded, as he instructed. And they placed the blood of a lamb on their doorway. You see, the promise was that very soon that there was going to be a spirit of death that was going to travel among the land. But if they were to put the blood of a lamb on their door, they will be passed over. They will be spared. And so Israel took Moses' word, and they did exactly as he commanded. But Egypt, Egypt was a different story. And so after waking to the news that his son had died through the evening, Pharaoh finally summoned Moses and Aaron into his chamber. And he told them, leave my people. Get out of here. It's time for you to go. I finally hear you. And he's told them to take your flocks, take your herd. I don't want any remnants that you were even in my country. Get out. And so they gave the word to leave. And after hundreds of years of bondage, hundreds of years of bondage, Israel in that moment was finally free. They were free. But before leaving Egypt, before taking that last step out of the gates, Moses wanted to keep a 300-year-old promise. And so he stopped to the tomb of Joseph and gathered his bones and took them with them. For you see, Joseph always believed. When I read the scripture, when I look at his story, I believe that he believed that God used Egypt to save Israel during the time of the droughts. But Egypt was not meant to be the promised land. It wasn't the promised land. And so Joseph made, uh, made Israel promise all those years ago that when God, not, not, not if, but when God frees you, when the promised land is given, please make sure my bones are buried at home. And so Moses took them with him. And so now... They begin their journey, their travel, all the way through to this promised land. And things, I'm going to tell you, are looking pretty good right now. I mean, could you imagine being a part of the actual group, the actual people who are living now the fulfilled promise of Exodus, right before their eyes? And then God, of course, in his town, didn't leave them alone. You see, here, what God did is in their journey, he led them. He was pointing the direction. He was telling them where to go with a cloud during the day and at night a pillar of fire that was falling down and leading them. All they had to do was follow. That's it. 
They just had to follow. And so things are looking, just follow that and we'll get to the right place. But then all of a sudden, their journey was stopped. For this cloud, for the pillar of fire, had led them to a massive sea that they could not cross. Well, that's such an odd destination, an odd place to be led to. Is an area where you can't physically cross. And so here now, Moses, I'm sure, Aaron, and all, all of the, the, high, the most smartest people of Israel are going, okay, well, how do we cross this thing? Uh, do we need to build a bridge? Is that, where, is that where we are now? Do we have to go backtrack a little bit? Do we have to walk around? And as they're, they're figuring out, what are we going to do? What direction do we take? Moses, you're, you've kind of been calling the shots here. Is there any, anything uh, the big guy's telling you? What should we be doing now? And as they're trying to figure this out, they can hear the, just almost a, a cheer, a screams of fear coming out from the back from behind them. And they turn around, and they're in the distance. It's Pharaoh with 600 of his chariots who had decided to chase after them. That the death of his son, that the anger had consumed him. And so he had decided that they will no longer be free, they will be dead. And so he said, follow me. And he took his whole army with them to go and kill every Israelite. And then, of course, when Pharaoh saw the path they were taking, well, victory was certainly his. There's a big sea in the way. And so now with the screams going on that there's something behind them, Moses is on a time crunch. And so people are starting to get worried, get frantic. They're starting to figure, what are we going to do? How, are we, how, is he gonna get, how is God going to get us out of this one? And then what we read in Scripture, what we see what happened, is that all Moses did is that he took a step in the water, in the big sea. And in his hand, he had his staff. Now this staff right here, the one that he's holding, this is the staff that God had given him. And Moses, this is my, this is my staff here, it is yours. And this is the same staff that turned into a serpent before Pharaoh. It turned the waters of the Nile into blood. It actually was used to bring the plagues upon Egypt through God's authority. And so now Moses is holding this staff in the water, in the, the thing that's preventing them from freedom. And he's holding the staff. And the scripture says, now I know Hollywood likes to say that, that they put it in there and all this magic happened. But the scripture says that he held it in the air. That he held it in the air like this. And then right there with the entire eyes of the, of the whole nation of Israel upon Moses, the leader. What are we going to do now? You've got us into this mess, Moses. And so now with the staff into the air, the scripture says that the wind began to pick up. It started to move. And the scripture says that it was moving in from the east specifically. And it was pushing on the water. Now what can you imagine? A wind this strong coming in, pushing in on the water. And it said that it grew stronger. And it's stronger, almost like a hurricane was coming on them. And then right before all of their eyes, the waters of the mighty Red Sea started to split open. It just started to, to, to pave a way like a road in the middle of a sea. And it started to open up. And so the people of Israel right now, they're on, this, on the land watching this, witnessing this that day. It's the same nation. These are the same people that have been slaves from birth. It's the only thing they know. They only know how to be a slave. And this is the nation that has been separated from its culture, from its land, from its faith. That these people have been under the oppression of someone else. 
Not only for their generations, but for the generations before them. The stories of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac to them were stories of an old golden age that has already come to pass. Perhaps I would even say that maybe some of the Israelites at this time who were standing next to the Red Sea, maybe they could have even written off the plagues as coincidence or simple acts of nature that fell upon our side. As long as I'm free, that sounds good to me. But I guarantee you that standing there, when they saw the Red Sea split open, this, this is no act of this world. This, now I can see. I was blinded, I can see now. Right on the other side, this, this is the God of our forefathers. The God that the stories that were being passed down from the generations the God that promised Abraham that there is a land for us. This is El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Only he can do this. And with the splitting of the Red Sea, there's only now one thing left to do. Go. It's to actually go. We could sit back. And we get a marvel at how amazing this is. This is, so, I mean, we can sit, we can dissect, we can let, this is simply made. Take pictures. We want to make sure we remember this. We can, but no, the thing is that the splitting of the Red Sea was designed for them to do one thing. Go. It was to go across. For freedom was on the other side. Father, we pray now. That as we journey through this story, Lord, let your gospel speak to us. Your freedom, Lord, be there before us. May we see and go. And again, I pray that your truth only be preached from here. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you probably have known by now, I've been here for two and a half years. You probably have figured out that I'm a guy that really enjoys a good series, a good sermon series. I like to take a topic or a book, and I like to dive into that thing for maybe four or five weeks. I like to make sure it stays in proper context. I like to go through, because, because well, the author wrote it that way, so maybe we should look at it. I, this is my kind of style. If you don't like it, my deepest apologies. <laughs> this, this may be a confession time, I don't know. Uh, but th- that's kind of, kind of what I like, enjoy to do. Uh, now, I will want to say that we're, next week we're going to start a new series. Uh, we're going we're to dive into several weeks into one topic. We're going to talk, dive into holiness. Because we're going to prepare our church, our, my, ourselves, for the upcoming holiness retreat, which is the first weekend of March. So make sure you have that booked off. You're going to hear that, that holiness retreat a couple of times. You may have heard it already today. Yeah, we kind of think it's a big deal. Because that is going to be a weekend that we're counting on God to do something. And so for the next several weeks, we're just going to get the soil ready so that we can let God do something. And so today, what I wanted to do before we start that series, I wanted to actually look into specifically into Joshua chapter 3 and 4. I wanted to spend some time on this story because of what is coming for the next several weeks and what is coming for the holiness retreat. You see, the story found in Joshua 3 right here is very important. It's extremely important 
for the nation of Israel. This is a moment that the nation remembers to this day. It's, it is the fulfillment of something that was promised hundreds of years before it actually took place. That it was a promise that was generations later before it was fulfilled. And it was the crossing of the Jordan. The passage, the actual moment, the time, you can put it on the calendar, the time where the fulfillment of touching the promised land. It's there. It's real. And this is the scripture where it happens. And so since crossing the Red Sea, now 40 years back, we're now 40 years after the crossing of the Red Sea, Israel, in those 40 years, has had a very difficult path. <laughs> they have had a challenging journey. Let's just say that. You see, according, and this is, this, I mean, when you look actually what happened when they left Egypt, when they were free, get out of here, I don't want to see you anymore. According to all the biblical scholars, they say that in that day and age, on foot for the average size of, the, of what the nation should have been, they said that the journey from Egypt to the promised land should have taken 11 days. That's the destiny. That's how long the journey was meant to be. 11 days. Now I'm going to tell you, after generations of, uh, of being enslaved, generations of being oppressed, 11 days sounds pretty good. And so they left Egypt on an 11-day journey. However, when we look at Scripture, we see that it took them 40 years. Now, I, I've heard of men not wanting to stop and ask for directions. But I, you know, I would swallow my pride, and I would have stopped somewhere within the five-year mark to figure out we would have lost. But this 11-day journey took 40 years. 40 years to do. You see, the length of this journey was not because they were directionally challenged, but instead spiritually challenged. That's why it took so long. Because of their lack of faith, the amount of complaining, if you can read through that story, their anger that came out, their sin that just kept peeping its head over and over again, after God did something miraculous and, and mighty and powerful, it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. We kind of envisioned the God of our forefathers better than that. I mean, that's what they kept giving to him. And so here we know, we, and we can read through this, through their disobedience, that God had decided that the current generation, the ones who were freed from Egypt, they would not be the ones to see the promised land. And so here... Now, 40 years later, when it's time to move forward, when it's time to finally make, change that course a little bit, finally get on the right path, shave off a few of those years and get into the promised land, it is now time that a new leader is going to take them into that. They're going to actually have to get a new leader to bring them into the promised land. For you see, Moses was of that generation. And so now... The leadership has been passed down to a man named Joshua. And Joshua 
has had the responsibility now to lead his people into the land that has been talked about since the time of Abraham. Imagine that. Imagine the responsibility that this story of the promised land that has been passed down for hundreds of years now falls on your lap. You're the guy. You're leading the way. But just like generations before them, we see when we read the scripture that there was, there was just one little thing in their way to prevent them from actually getting to the promised land, the Jordan River. The Jordan River. Now, when Joshua was now in command, he's now, he's now receiving the word of the Lord. God tells him to take the entire nation. He says, all right, Josh, all right, we're going in. This is, it's now time. I want you to take the entire nation to the river. But I want you, here's your order. All right, I'm ready, God. Let's give it to me. I'm, these guys, they've been chopping up the bit. We're, we're going to be like, man, don't get me wrong, but let's, it's time to go. He says, all right, here's your order. Go to the river. Yeah. And then wait for three days and do nothing. Oh, all right. Why? I mean, if that's what you want, God. And so they took him down. He said, guys, follow me. We're going to go down to the river, and then we're going to wait for three days. I mean, why wait? I mean, they finally have made it this far. They're finally there. They can see on the other side of the river the promised land. They finally, why wait for three more days? In fact, when I read through the scripture, and I was reading through the story, it says that the wait, the actual wait of them at the Jordan actually gave Israel even more doubt and more fear that they would never actually reach the promised land. That they were just so close that they can touch it, but they were starting to think that perhaps this promise was always just going to stay a promise. Not reachable. And so scripture says, particularly when they were looking at the river at that time, it says that it was harvest time. Now the author wrote that in for a specific reason. It wasn't just by some small detail. Is that it was harvest time. You see, the reason why that's written in there is that this is the time of the year in the Jordan River, that the river is at its absolute widest and its absolute deepest in the entire year. It's when it's the raining season. It's when the waters of the Jordan are actually flowing at its fastest. So now we have a river that's deep and wide. Yeah, see where we're going with this? Yeah. And in particularly, this river is moving fast. It is, it, is, it is on its way. And so here now, you might be thinking, at least if I was in that moment, if I was there, that, that, that now they're filled with fear. We're never going to cross this thing. And, and, the, and the Jordan River is, is not this little stone throw thing. I mean, how are we going to cross this? How are we going to get our elders across this? How are we going to get the children across this? There's no way that this can happen. But you might be thinking, oh, don't, don't they remember? Don't they remember that God just split the mighty Red Sea? That this is the God who took the Red Sea and split it in two? Have they lost their faith already? The, the way, this is the way I read the scripture. When I looked at this story, the way I read the scripture is that the majority of people in this group right now, that the majority of people are people standing at the Jordan who were not present at the Red Sea moment. That generation is no longer with them. 
Now, sure, there actually would be some of the elders that would have been there and would have remembered the Red Sea, such as Joshua. But for the most part, the Red Sea was just another story passed down. Another story. For all they know, the ones now standing with their challenge before them, all they know is that the Red Sea is a fishing tell. You know the one, Jim, I'm talking about. The one where the fish was this big, but the next time it's a little bit bigger. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, I need to talk about that. And so, you know, it's those fishing tells where maybe the fish just gets a little bit and a little bit bigger. But the real question is, the real question that we must be asking ourselves, when, at least when we read this story, when we look at the story of the crossing of the Jordan, is whether, is it really, is it really possible for faith to be lost in only one generation? In only one generation. Their father, their mothers would have seen the Red Sea open. But just in one generation, they have lost total faith that God can open a river. You see, if it, if it weren't pot, if they did have faith that he can do that, then the path to the promised land would have been a lot shorter. It would have been a lot quicker. But it wasn't. You see, this isn't just an Israel problem. This isn't something that we read only in the Old Testament or even in the Scriptures at all. We, you and I, we struggle with things we have not seen. I often wish, I, I have even asked God on a number of occasions, if you could only show us, show us, if only you could show, do the impossible, move the mountain, God, then, then I'll know they'll believe. But God, just show us, do something. And I found myself in my own times in life where I'm on my knees saying, show us, God. But as I've matured in my faith, as I've spent time more and more with him, I'm beginning to realize that the answer to that question has always been, but for how long? How long will they believe? You see, the entirety of Scripture, from the very beginning to the very end, is covered with God displaying his glory, his power, his might. I mean, from the very creation of the earth itself, all the way into the, into the prophecies of how it's going to end. It has been covered with his, 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 his authority. But it has also been covered with people rejecting him nonetheless, regardless of it. And the only thing I can tell you, the only truth or authority that I can speak into this as, as a minister, as a, as a pastor, is that he is God. And I'm not. I don't have all those answers. And I don't think we were meant to. But I can tell you that he reveals his power and his mystery when the time is right. When it's right. For he knows when that moment is. And for here, in this moment with Israel, it was three days later. You're going to go sit there and wait for three days. I just want you to look at the might of the river. Look at the size. 
and they don't want, but that doubt, we're going to work with that in a moment. We sit there for three days. And so now on the third day, God told Joshua <laughs> that it was time to cross. It's time to go. And here's where, here's where it gets, I mean, really the story just gets fascinating to me. Is that the order was not given to send in engineers to build a bridge or to figure out a way to, to stop the waterfall. Let's figure out some scientific way. to We can stop the water. We can figure this out. That wasn't the But instead, Joshua told the priest to prepare the Ark of the Covenant. For they, the priest and the Ark, will be leading the way. You're going to be in the front. You're going to be the thing. Oh, yes. The Ark. You see, this is something that's new to Israel. This, is a, this has been picked up since the Red Sea, the ark. It was given to them in the desert when they were wandering around. It was given to the lost generation. That this ark was the, 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 the total physical representation of God's presence. That when they were lost and won, even when they were disobedient and lost in the desert... God said, I, you will still see me. I will give you my presence. And so they had that with them the whole time. And so now, standing at the Jordan, the priests are now responsible for carrying the ark across. It was the, it was the, the ark manifested the spiritual and the supernatural characteristics of God. And so when Joshua told the nation that they would be leaving first thing in the morning, here's what they told him. This is what he told the entire nation of Israel when he said, all right, we're leaving in the morning, and here's what I want you to do. Not just to pray, I want everybody to do this. So Israel, listen to me. Tonight, take tonight and sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourselves. That's, what he is, that's actually what he says to them. He's saying sanctify yourselves to purify themselves in preparation for the presence of God. In other words, sanctify yourself and then expect the impossible to happen. And so the next morning, Josh told the priest to step in, to, to grab the ark, grab it, or yeah. And then now, priest, touch the water. And so with the ark in their hands, they go to the to the fast-flowing riverbank, and they touched the water with their feet. But according to the scripture, the water didn't part ways at the first touch. It was actually they had to walk in a ways as the water was coming in. And it was as the water was giving above their ankles. The scripture says here that it was in that moment that the water started to split open completely just to, to just separate itself there in the Jordan. And it just, it just came to a complete stop, that the whole water flow stopped, that the land itself has become dry. You see, the scripture says that there was not even a trace of water or even mud left in the riverbed. It was completely dry. You see, for they, the nation of Israel... They had spent the entire night sanctifying themselves, purifying themselves, which means 
that on the day that they were entering the river, they were clean. And God, what he was doing, in my opinion, is that God gave them a path to keep them that way. To keep them that way. That not even mud will be on your slippers. For God himself, as they were praying, purifying, sanctifying themselves, God says that when you follow me, I can, I can give you a way to stay clean. To stay clean. And so the, pre, the priests here are holding now the ark. They've stopped in the middle of the river. They hold it on there on the top of their shoulders. And it says here that they stop there so that the rest of the group can follow through. Because if the, if the ark was in the middle, the water stays stopped. As long as the ark was in the middle of the river, there was no water flow. And then the rest of the nation on dry land crossed over all the way to the other side. Every little child, every, every little wagon, everything, whatever there was is crossing across. It's on the other side now. And if, you see, everything, everything in this story depended upon the ark. We have to pay attention to that. It depended upon the ark. If the ark continued through to the other side, if, it actually, if the priest had just kept on going, and it just went to the other side, then the waters would have closed in. They would have closed in on them. But instead, they stopped in the middle. You see, there is no crossing without the presence of God. There is no impossible without the presence of God. He is the impossible. And now they're standing here. The ark is mentioned 14 times in just 17 verses. There is strict detail on the purpose of the ark in this moment. The ark cleared the way for, Egypt, for, for Israel to cross over. And I have to believe, I choose to believe, that it wasn't by accident. That it wasn't by accident that God freed Israel physically from Egypt and spiritually at the Jordan by splitting water. For what, what, what does water do? It cleans. It gets all the dirt off, all the mud off. It cleans you. He is a God that cleans the physical and the spiritual matters of our lives. And so far, as for Israel, after 400 years, we finally have come to the moment in Scripture. Finally, the fulfillment of the promise. We are reading it now in Joshua that they are physically standing on the promised land. They're there. It's not a promise anymore. They're there. They're in the mist. But before Joshua tells the priest to come on. All right, we're all across now. All right, come on in, guys. But before he does that, there's one last matter to tend to. One last thing. He tells each member of tribe, one person from each tribe of Israel, he says, all right, here's what I want you to do, is I want you to go and grab one rock, one large rock, each tribe, and we're going to go into the middle of the river. And so each tribe did just that. They grabbed one rock, one big rock, and they met Joshua in the middle of the river. And what he did is he took each of those rocks and he built an altar of remembrance, an altar there inside the river where the path was where they crossed. And after he finished building the altar, 
After when it was done and it looked satisfying to what it should look like as a remember, then Joshua, the new leader of Israel, turns to the whole country and he tells them, he says, Oh, Israel, when your children, when your children ask, what do these stones mean to you? What is the purpose of this altar? He says, tell them this. Tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. For he led us into the promised land that you're standing on now. And so here he told Israel to remember. It's one thing to cross over, but to remember. To put something in place so that when the bad things happen, we remember where we were. We remember the moments. So then after that, Joshua instructs the priest carrying the ark to come out. All right, guys, come out. And so here they go. They're marching out of the Jordan. And right before the whole nation, they can watch the water close in on the, on the, on the altar. It's now underwater. The one that they just built. What? Well, wait a minute. Why did they build the altar in the river? I mean, these guys are really directionally challenged when they're trying to make these decisions, aren't they? Why do they build the altar in the river? They can't see it anymore. Why not in a place that can be seen by everybody? Well, it was so. It was, the, it was, it was intentional. It was so that when the next drought came, when the next water, when the, when the water started to recede just down a little bit, that the stones would be seen and testify of the time that God had completely dried up the Jordan only to fill it back in with water once again. It was a reminder that in times of drought, when we think that God isn't present, when we have forgotten the past things that God has done for you and for me, for all of us, when we doubt that there will ever even be water again in our lives, it is a reminder that God is bigger than the drought and that he is the God of living water. Nick, could you play something for us there? But this morning, I wanted to focus on this thing, the crossing of the Jordan. You see, the Jordan, each of us in our lives, all of us, have a Jordan moment. There is a moment in our life. Maybe it's right now. Maybe it's already happened. But when we come upon the river, the obstacle, the thing that you can't overcome, in that moment, as a believer of Jesus Christ, we must use faith. We must pray and reach out to him cry out to the Lord but that these rivers you see that God the God who can do the impossible can split it open and it may be simple it, 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 it could be it could be just what am I supposed to be what am I what's the purpose of my life what am I supposed to be doing now God where do you want me to go it could even be are you even real God can you hear me all I see is a river. My eyes tell me there's a river there. I can't cross that. All I can tell you 
is that God will show up when it's the time. Patience is very hard for a Christian because we often know the power that God has and we wonder why he's not using it now. But it's his power, his authority, his time. And maybe during this dawn of grace, this moment in time, the history of the church, that maybe it's patience that we're called to. Faith. That when the entire world around us is telling us that he isn't there, he isn't real, that none of this, this is all make-believe, that we persevere just through that. Maybe, the per, maybe now it's the church's job to say, but we still believe. He is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And there will be a day, my friends, that the Jordan will open. The river will split. His presence will be with us and he will cross it. And he will be calling out for those who says it's time to come home. It's time to cross. The promise has been fulfilled. And I want you to be there at the side of the Jordan to follow him. Because the patience one day will be fulfilled. To follow him. And let me say this is that we have to, we'd be foolish to ignore this, is that when God shows up in our life, when he does the impossible, when, not if, but when, he shows us who he is, you and I must build an altar. We must do it. For when we cross over life's Jordans, it's too easy to forget. Oh, but that was God then. This is my problem now. But we must build an altar so that when we see it, when we look at it, we can be reminded that God can just take the water, just, just split the sea open and then fill it with living water once again. This is the God we serve. So this morning, are you out of Jordan? Is there somewhere where you want it? You can see the other side, but you just can't get across. Is, there, is, it, in your, is it your family? Is it you? But I want to take a moment of time of prayer. And the altars are open. But these are altars as well. Altars of remembrance. Altars of salvation, of grace, of freedom and redemption. So as Nick is playing, I'll invite you for a time of prayer and reflection. And may I challenge you to say that the church may be called to patience, but after patience is his power. He is returning once again. listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, 
be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.